Okay, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your living word, Jesus. Help us now to hear this familiar story as for the very first time. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, thank you very much, and great to be with you again. If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, um, I spoke here then. My name's Duncan Andrews, uh, pastor at Trinity Church, Victor Harbour, and Scott and I are doing a bit of swap through January. Uh, and so this will be the last time I'm with you for a little while, but it's been lovely to come and uh, spend time with you and share in God's Word uh, with my brothers and sisters in Mount Barker. Um, so, uh, as mentioned, was mentioned before, I assume everyone knows this, in this summer series, we're thinking about how some key Western values, the kind of moral air that we breathe, we're thinking about them and seeing how Jesus gave, the, to, uh, gave these to the world in their truest and most wonderful expression. We're helped by this book um, by a guy called Glenn Scrivener. Um, he makes the case, he makes the case for that, basically as, uh, he argues for it as a fact of history, um, that Jesus brought about a revolution a revolution that was completely unique and unnatural, supernatural, and still shapes our world in deep and fundamental ways. But friends, the main reason we're doing this series through January, the main reason we're doing it is it's, it's not just to kind of lock away some interesting history, um, as, as fun as that might be, and it's, not, it's also not to primarily to comment on today's society, that's not the main reason we're doing it. The main reason we're doing this is so that we might be captivated by the beauty and goodness and truthfulness of Jesus, of who he was and of what he did. 
and all that that means for the world, of all that that means for you. Uh, an Australian author called John Dixon puts it like this. He talks about it. It's, it's as if Jesus sang a beautiful tune, the most captivating and perfect song there ever has been. Sometimes Jesus' followers have sung that tune well, and they've given to the world things like public hospitals and schools, uh, the end of the slave trade. Sometimes they've been totally out of tune with it and taken part in terrible things, like the medieval crusades or the shameful covering up of abuse. But the tune itself is still beautiful and true, and you won't hear it anywhere else. And the closer you get to Jesus, the clearer you'll hear it. The closer you get to Jesus, the clearer you hear it. So whether you're a Christian or not, maybe you're someone who's sceptical about religion, uh, maybe you're interested in Jesus. The, the invitation for all of us in this series is to come back to Jesus and to hear his beautiful melody once again. It's a tune that brings the most wonderful news to everyone who receives it. So today, we're at the end of the series, we're thinking about this value of equality. Uh, and equality is a key value in our society, especially egalitarian Australia, where we love cutting down tall poppies as soon as they rear their ugly mugs, right? This sort of our favourite pastime. Everyone's equal, um, sort of fundamental value of our society. Um, and so since we've got uh, kids still in today and uh, looking forward to Kids Church starting next week, I thought we'd start by playing a bit of a game. So we're going to play a game of Spot the Difference, okay? You need to be able to see the screens on either side somewhere. Okay, this is an actual photo of me. Um, now, I'm going to give you 10 seconds. 10 seconds, I'm going to time it on here. 10 seconds to spot the differences. There's five differences. Uh, out the back, you might have a bit of a tr struggle. See if you can get one of them. Okay, go. Okay, have we got some? Is it, uh, can you spot? Did anyone get all five? No, no. Okay, next slide. Um, here we go. There's, uh, there's the five differences on there. All right, so spot the difference. Okay, there's the, the cartoon, spot the difference. What about two actual people? Let's go to the next slide. What about two actual? This is cheesy stock photos, spot the difference. Okay, now this is going to be really hard to spot the differences between these two people. Um, is it not? Well, no, of course it's not. Go to the next slide. Uh, the differences are everywhere, okay? <laughs> what about a whole group of people? Next slide. Another cheesy stock photo. Or, or what about the next slide? Uh, uh, oh, yeah, keep going. There's a whole group of people. Uh, and the next one again. There we go. A whole crowd. So you get any group of people together. And what you notice is how different we all are, right? how different we all are, all the ways in which we're not equal to one another. And if you showed someone in the ancient world this picture and said to them, all of these people are equal, all of these people are equal, they'd look at you and say, what planet are you from? Where do you get this bizarre concept that we're all equal? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a famous ancient philosopher, Plato, and had a quote from him, so I thought I'd pair him up with his mate Aristotle, uh, who said this, 
From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjection, others for rule. The lower sort are by nature slaves, and it is better for them, as for all inferiors, that they should be under the rule of a master. Uh, the use made of slaves, this is, this, listen to this, the use made of slaves and of tame animals is not very different. Um, for both with their bodies minister to the needs of life, it is clear then that some men are by nature free and others slaves, and that, and that for these latter, slavery is both expedience and right. Very matter of fact, a description of, uh, of things in the ancient world. So, so you ask Aristotle um, whether women and men are equal, or adults and infants, or slaves and masters, the poor, the rich, the strong, the weak, the healthy and the disabled, and he'll just laugh at you and say, in what weird universe is that true? And the answer to that, of course, is in Jesus' universe, in his kingdom. Uh, Jesus embodied and taught and created a community of revolutionary equality. Uh, but it's not an equality that so often, I think, in our world, we kind of long look for and search for. It's not this equality that kind of denies our differences, tries to flatten everything out into a dull uniformity. The equality Jesus brings actually recognises all our differences and helps them to flourish. It sets us free to live in them with peace and dignity and purpose. So the key question is, what are we equal in, right? What are we equal in? Our differences are so obvious. Where is this equality? Where is this equality? Uh, I, I just want to highlight three big things. They'll be on the talk outline you've got, um, hopefully, on the way in. Three things that, according to the Bible, are true of every human being who ever has and ever will live. Uh, three things. Firstly, we're all equally precious to God as those made in his image. Secondly, we are all equally fallen before God. And thirdly, we are all equally invited by God. So I'm going to um, sort of uh, skim through those things before we get to the passage that was read out for us. Um, Jesus' universe, this universe um, that was revolutionary, is, of course, the universe of the Bible, uh, including the Jewish scriptures that he came to fulfill. So right on page one of the Bible is this picture of humanity that was unique in the ancient world. Uh, in the ancient myths, humans were created to be slaves to violent and selfish gods. But this picture is stunningly different. Here is the one true God who in love creates a good and ordered world, who makes humans to share in his rule over the world and to share in his image. So on the screen again, Genesis 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So you get this picture right from the start. All humans, male and female, are made in some incredible way to be like gods, to, be in his, to, to share in his image, to share in his good and loving rule over the world. And, and, now, and then you fast forward, fast forward to Jesus, uh, who comes as the 
image of God. God in the flesh, the eternal Son of God, become a man. There's heaps of sort of stuff that's jam-packed into both those things. But notice that all of that gives an incredible dignity to humanity, doesn't it? An incredible dignity. You and I are made in the image of God. We are so precious to God that he would send his son to share in our flesh. But why did God do that? Why did he do that? And that kind of leads us to the second way that we're all equal. So you skip ahead a couple of chapters in Genesis, right? Uh, and it tells, a, it tells us about another boat we're all in. Another way that all of us are fundamentally equal. We are all equally fallen before God. Uh, so the first humans rejected God. They wanted to run lives their own way without him. They didn't recognize him as their, their rightful ruler. They cut himself off from them, uh, themselves off from him. And, it's, and like a kind of inherited disease, this spiritual deadness towards God gets passed on to the whole human family. Uh, you can read about it in Genesis 3. But uh, what, what I want to do is just quickly show you um, how... Jesus himself just assumes that this is true, this thing that we're all equally before, uh, fallen before God. Jesus just assumes it. And, and I just want to show you a little passage. It's not far ahead of what we had read out, uh, a couple of chapters ahead in Luke 11. Uh, so Jesus is in the context is Jesus is talking about prayer, about calling on God to come and help. And he says this, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish... We'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Did you pick up what Jesus says there? Just kind of assumes a Genesis 3 universe. You then, though you are it's just sort of obvious to him. He even just mentions it in passing. Uh, he calls the people he's talking to evil. Now, he's not saying there that every person is as utterly bad as they possibly could be. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is saying. He's comparing us to God and saying, in our relationship to him, all of us are fallen and sinful. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, it's not a popular claim to make today, but I actually want to suggest that these two realities that we just looked at, every person equally precious made in God's image, and every, pers every person equally fallen before God, fallen into sin and selfishness, uh, those two realities are actually the foundation of a true and wonderful universal equality. Um, there's a great illustration of this. Anyone familiar of, uh, with C.S. Lewis' Narnia series, and uh, particularly the, books, uh, the book Prince Caspian? Hopefully you're familiar with it. If you're not, go read it. Uh, Aslan is talking with... Uh, Aslan, the great lion, is talking with Caspian, the Narnian prince. And he, he tells him how he, Caspian's ancestors were actually these scoundrels, um, the thieving pirates from Earth that kind of made their way into Narnia. Uh, and he says to Caspian, do you mark all this well, King Caspian? I do indeed, sir, said Caspian. I was wishing that I came from a more honourable lineage. And then listen to this, it's up on the screen. You come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, said Aslan. 
And that is both honour enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. Both honour enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the head of the highest emperor, the greatest emperor. So this is, it really is revolutionary equality, but there's, there's one more aspect that I want to highlight of this equality that Jesus brings. And we saw it in that, that, that passage from Luke 11, where Jesus talks about you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Uh, and then he goes on and says, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? To those who ask him. You see what Jesus is saying there? Not only are all people equal in creation and in our sin, we're also equal in his offer of redemption, of forgiveness and new life through Jesus by the spirits. Uh, This is, I think, kind of like the final nail in the coffin of our tribalism. You know what tribalism is? Uh, Tribalism is equality with limits. Right? Okay. We're, we're all equal, but within some boundary that I set. Um, equality with people like me. Equality that, with people who I like, um, who are part of my tribe. Jesus says his tribe, his kingdom, it's not some exclusive club right? that you, you need to prove yourself worthy to be a part of. The only thing you need to do is recognise that you're not worthy. You're not worthy, that you never could be on your own. And simply to ask him for mercy, for his Holy Spirit to give you new life. And anyone can do that at any time. Your race or tribe or language don't matter. Your status in society doesn't matter. Your past mistakes and sins don't matter. Your past achievements don't matter. It is a free gift that can't be earned and that is offered to everyone. So Jesus takes aim at this tendency in our hearts towards tribalism that we all share in, that we all have as part of our fallen condition. Jesus takes aim at it. I think he takes aim at it in what what is... Possibly one of the most famous stories ever told. Um, uh, The most famous of his parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what Jesus is bringing out in this parable is that the real test of equality, the real test of equality is not how you treat people you agree with, who are like you. The real test of equality is how you treat people outside your tribe. It's even how you treat those who are your enemies. That's what's going on in this parable. Um, It may not be apparent at first, but I hope to show you this on the way through. So uh, verse 25, he starts uh, with this proud expert in the law sort of questioning Jesus. Uh, He he actually asked this brilliant question, right? Good teacher, what what must I do to be saved? Sorry, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question, but we know from the start it's not coming from a genuine heart in this guy. He's not actually interested in the answer. He's, He's testing Jesus. He's trying to trip him up. So Jesus responds um, with, I just love this about Jesus. Um, He does it so often. He he, 
uh, responds to this person with his own question in verse 26. Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He says. And again, this man gives a great answer. Verse 27. The whole Old Testament law is summed up by these two commands, to love God with all you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. So he gives this, this great... Then, in G, then the next verse, verse 28, Jesus says, Yep, you're right. Do this and you'll live. And I reckon at that point, maybe this young guy who's testing Jesus kind of um, takes a bit of a step back or something and thinks, oh, uh, what have I just done to myself? It's like with these words, Jesus is cutting away this man's pride. He says, okay, yep, so perfectly love God and perfectly love your neighbour, uh, and you'll be right. See how you go with that. I think that's what's going on, because the only way that this guy can think of a way out of this conundrum he's in with Jesus is to minimise the requirement of God's law. Um, uh, that's always what we try to do in ourselves. Uh, uh, so this guy says, uh, okay, so I'm supposed to love my neighbour, but I'll make my circle of neighbours as small as humanly possible. And maybe then I'll have a chance of doing this and inheriting eternal life through my own works. Uh, so in verse 29, he wants to justify himself. And he asks this question, well then, who is my neighbour? See what he's doing? He's trying to reduce that circle of people whom he has to love. Surely it can't mean everyone. And Jesus tells this parable in response to this guy, in, in, in answer to that question. And the key thing about this parable is something that may not be obvious to us as sort of 21st century Australians reading this, but would have stuck out, I'll suck at a mile, like a th sore thumb to the first readers of this, the first hearers of this story. The key thing is that the guy, who's the guy held up as a hero in this story? The key thing is he's a Samaritan. He's a Samaritan. In the first century when this was told, that would have been utterly shocking uh, because there was this burning, seething hatred between Jews and Samaritans. Uh, I, I, it's kind of hard for us to get our heads in that space. We, I don't think we have quite the same sort of thing here in Australia, but there's this long-term deep hostility between these two groups. And so this story Jesus is telling, it's not just a moral, nice moral story about being kind to strangers. Uh, it's actually this really explosive attack on our tribalism. Uh, I... We're not going to be able to get into all the details of the, of the parable, but just notice a few quick things. Um, just like we saw a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, notice how in verse 33, um, notice how this Samaritan sees this beaten man. The other two guys who've just walked past, the other two religious leaders, they see him, but as soon as they see him, what do they do? They kind of turn away and walk to the other side of the road. They don't look at him. But this man, this, the Samaritan sees him. Uh, he doesn't turn away. He, he opens himself up, like we saw Jesus doing a couple of weeks ago, and makes himself vulnerable. He takes pity on him. And, and in fact, that's, that word, he takes pity on him, it's the same word that, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, that described Jesus 
Do you remember that? This word for deep, gut-wrenching compassion. This stomach-churning feeling of compassion and mercy for someone in need. It's the same word. So this Samaritan has this gut-wrenching mercy, compassion for this half-dead guy lying on the road. It's the same pattern, right? He sees, and then he feels, and then he acts. Then he acts. And what he does in verse 34 and 35, uh, it's incredible. You can read the details up on the screen there, but it's just this over-the-top kindness and mercy. He doesn't just kind of call the ambulance, wait till they're there, and then get out of there without leaving his details. You know, like uh, there were no ambulances. They had to wait for the Christian revolution to appear. Um, but he, he doesn't do that. He does, and he also doesn't just make sure this guy stays alive. See what this guy does, the Samaritan does for this man? He cares for him. He takes him to an inn. He pays for him. He pays his debts and guarantees to pay any further debt that this guy builds up. It's like this over-the-top love for someone who is his enemy. Someone who is his enemy. Well, friends, I think there's just so much to reflect on in this parable. Usually, uh, often, this parable is taken simply as an example for us to follow. And I think that is in there. There's something right about that. Jesus ends it, by, if you notice, he ends the parable by saying, go and do likewise. So there is something to that. But I think there's actually something much more going on here. Uh, I think that Jesus is giving us this profound and wonderful glimpse into what is going on in his own life in what he came to do by dying on the cross. Uh, there's a few reasons for that. You can ask me about them um, later. I, the, the strongest one, though, I think, is that every other time that word, you know, I mentioned that word about gut-wrenching compassion. Every other time that's used in the Gospels, it's either used of Jesus himself or God the Father. Every other time that word is used to describe what's going on in Jesus or in God the Father. So when the Samaritan feels that same compassion, I, I think we're meant to join some dots together. What Jesus is giving us here in its, is ultimately a stunning picture of the gospel. He is the ultimate good Samaritan. He's the one who fulfilled the law and perfectly loved his neighbour. We are the helpless, half-dead guy fallen by the road with no strength to save ourselves. The natural enemies of God, those who are at war with him. But God is the God who loves his enemies, whose love has worked itself out in Jesus with over-the-top mercy, doing all that's necessary to heal us and to pay our debts, pay all our debts, that's what's going on at the cross. That's what's going on at the cross. And friends, if he has done that for you, while you were still a sinner, while you were still at war with God, how could you not? How could you not go and do likewise? Uh, not just to those who are in your own tribe. But to every person that God puts in your path, 
So I want you to just, as we kind of wrap things up, I want you to think of that person perhaps who you really struggle with. Maybe even someone who is like an enemy to you. That person is someone who is made in God's image, just like you. So you can relate to them with dignity and respect, not paying back in kind. That person is also helplessly fallen in their sin, with no hope in themselves, just like you outside of Christ. So you can have compassion on them, even in their sinful and selfish state, because without Jesus, you're in the same boat. And that person is just as freely offered Christ's forgiveness and new life as you are. Not because of any merit in yourself, but purely because of his grace and compassion that is poured out at the cross. Friends, the gospel is the, the source of real and lasting and transforming equality. It is a firm foundation that you won't find anywhere else. I, just, I want to finish by um, sharing the words of an old hymn that puts it like this. Maybe some of you have heard this. It says this, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Anyone may come there, for there is no cost. Rich man or poor man, bonded or free, the ground was leveled that day at Calvary. There is level ground at the foot of the cross for you to come. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, so come, come today and put your trust in him. Let him bind up your wounds and pay your debts and ask for his spirit to help you to go and do likewise. And I pray for us. What amazing grace you have poured out on us when we didn't deserve it. You have shown your wonderful love. You have expressed it in Jesus to those who were your enemies um, who are at war with you. Our Father, we confess our sin before you. We thank you for your precious gift of Jesus. We thank you that anyone can receive him. And Lord, we, we pray also that you might help us by your spirit to be those who do go and do likewise, who are so shaped by the mercy that we have had poured out on us uh, that we have no room in our hearts for that kind of ugly tribalism um, but that we can share your great love with the world around us. And we pray that for your sake in Jesus' name. Amen.